Cynthia and Tricia. Um, I was calling in to ask if you could talk about cervical massage in labor. I previously had a leak. Wondering if there's a way to tell if you are, how far dilated you are. Just curious if you could do that at home. What I don't like is that a woman knows she's when she conceives a lot of the time, and then they just disregard her completely when she tells them. She's right. like, this doesn't make exactly. sense. I know when I conceived her, they're like, no, right. nonetheless, this is our formula. If you know your conception date and it does not align with your LMP date, then you should speak up. One of the top new red flags in my life is if a doctor says the word death or die, they're fired. Do you want your baby to die? Unforgivable. When I was living out West, I went to the testicle festival in Rock Creek. <laughs> Just stop right there. Are you kidding <laughs> It's, it's a, it actually doesn't exist anymore. Oh, finish your testicle story. <laughs> this is your second one for the episode. This should not be this way. I'm Cynthia Overgaard, owner of Hypnobirthing of Connecticut, childbirth advocate, and postpartum support specialist. And I'm Trisha Ludwig, certified nurse midwife and international board certified lactation consultant. And this is the Down to Birth podcast. Childbirth is something we're made to do, but how do we have our safest and most satisfying experience in today's medical culture? Let's dispel the myths and get down to birth. Happy New Year. No, you cannot do that. I keep Why? It's still the new year at the end of January. It's like that Seinfeld episode when Elaine is complaining she's still got a happy new year in. No, Seinfeld is complaining he got one in February and she goes, I got one. I got, I once got one in March. <laughs> well, you know what? If it was our first episode of the year in March, I'd say happy new year. I guess you would, but this is not our first. Well, it's our first Q&A. Yeah, but I haven't, um, I haven't looked at these yet. This usually goes just fine when I haven't looked at them yet either way. Um, Usually best like that. Yeah. A little spontaneity. Never heard anyone. It hasn't heard us. All right. So I posted on Instagram the day after Christmas, tell us your favorite or least favorite thing about the holidays. The tricky thing about the holidays is we go into them with expectations often too high, but for some too low because they're anticipating drama that may never come. My mother-in-law complained about her gift and my sister-in-law also included her two cents on the gift we got my mother-in-law. Nice. <laughs> Typical. I don't know how typical that is. Mom honored our boundaries. No screens, no processed foods, no questions asked. See? Wonderful. Awesome. Had to host Christmas Eve at the last minute due to my aunt getting COVID. I usually don't read anything with the word COVID in it, but there I go. I slipped. It's like one of my least favorite topics. My three-year-old. Your least favorite word. It's just, I'm even during COVID. I'm so sick of hearing that word. Stop. Um, Everyone got (laughs) influenza A. Okay. I don't want to hear any sick ones. We're going to skip all those. I received a book series, not a book. She received a book series on how to be a good wife and homemaker from her mother. (laughs) Wow. 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 Who wrote that series? Wow. Very curious. Uh, I don't know. We can ask her, but holy cow. My entire household got, okay, more about the flu. We're not interested in that. Found out husband of seven years has been cheating. I am leaving. Whoa. A pink eye one. <laughs> all the health ones. They're all, what we're makes all people think we want to talk about healthcare? No, just kidding. I'm 38 weeks pregnant. Grandma asked how much weight I've gained. Yeah, that's no surprise. Mm-hmm. Another about the flu. Okay, wait, what was the original question? 
tell us the higher low, the best or oh, worst. That's what way. I thought. Okay. Well, uh, what was your? I asked for it, I guess. Yeah. What was your high? Mine? Yeah. Oh my gosh. At my brother's house. So we had our beautiful brunch with everyone here from like 11 to, I don't know, three or four or 5 PM. And then we all went to my brother, Nick's house. They have a beautiful, enormous tree. Um, and we did all of our usual traditions, but this year before we opened gifts, we dimmed the lights. He has a big, great room with an ultra high, like two story ceiling. And we blasted music and we danced. We just blasted, not Christmas music. We just blasted. And with my nieces and nephews who are all in their early twenties. And it was just amazing. The eight cousins, like all of our kids. And, um, we just danced. And then I have a lot of musicians in my family. So a lot of them gravitated over toward the piano, the drums, like guitar. And before we knew it, my son was playing guitar. My nieces, nephews, my brother was at the piano and their music kind of took over from the music we were blasting. But it was just awesome. It was wonderful. Nothing feels better than dancing in the world to me. Nothing is better than dancing. That is, that's where you let it all go. Yeah. And most, you know, a lot of my favorite movies involve dance, like West Side Story and Billy Elliot. I'm a, I'm a dance fiend. That was, what was your high? I think the spontaneity of it all was what made that really special, but But usually see spontaneity. There we go again. Of course. Yeah. So uh, speaking of spontaneity, we had a, that's a spontaneous outing to New Canaan one night, uh, the night before Christmas Eve, I think it was, met up for a little, uh, I was out actually working that day in New Canaan, and my family all just sort of met there and did some last minute Christmas shopping on the strip. And then after the dinner, we just felt like there was a nail salon next door and we thought, why don't we all get our nails and our toes done? And the whole family, like 10 of us, descended upon the nail salon 45 minutes before they were closing. There was nobody in there because they were getting ready to close and took over every pedicure chair in the place. So that was fun. And um, Christmas Eve was just, I had all my wrapping done before midnight. I was in bed, got a good night's sleep, and everybody was so happy on Christmas morning. Not one complaint. What did they complain about? What did people complain about? Oh, oh, I've had some complaints in the past. About what? About what? I can't even imagine what. I have have one child who has a um, tradition of crying on Christmas. Oh, I can guess which one, of course. (laughs) We won't say her name. We won't say her name. It's just terribly obvious. Talk about expectations. Expectations. She cries a little too high. She cries on Christmas morning? I know. (laughs) Does that. Anyway, so... Mother-in-law only got me a $5 bathroom towel set and a snowman wine stopper. Maybe that's how the mother-in-law shops. Maybe it was not. Maybe that's how she rolls. Maybe it's not supposed to be about the gifts, right? Isn't that true? Well, I mean, I don't, it is and it isn't. You know, I mean, it's, it sounds, We've made it that way. It sounds perfect to say it's not about the gifts and it's not, but it, but it also is. I mean, if you're giving someone special, if you're, I don't know, gift giving is not just a money thing. It is a lot of. It's meaning. And there are really touching, lovely gifts you can give someone. Right. So it's supper is not very meaningful. It, it is. And it isn't about the gift. They'd like when it has meaning to it, it's, it's so valuable. Okay. All right. Shall we get into our questions now? Let's get into the question. All right. Let's play the first one. Hi, Cynthia and Tricia. This is Veronica from Virginia. And I just want to thank you so much for 
all the truth that you're spreading and the lies that you keep on squashing. Um, and my question is in regards to breastfeeding. So I had somewhat of a traumatic birth, um, which I know contributed to the difficulties that we had with our um, nursing journey. Um, and then my son had a hard latch and um, we had the tongue ties released and it still didn't work well. So um, I'm exclusively pumping and almost at a year at this point. What I want to know is as I prepare for conceiving again, what can I do for myself um, to ensure a good supply um, for my next baby? What can I do preconception once we've conceived and um, immediately postpartum, um, knowing that there are some things that are out of my control, but um, want to know what I can do that is in my control. Thank you so much. Look forward to hearing the answer. Bye-bye. It didn't sound for a second that she said the lives you keep squashing. Yes. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I did hear that. Uh, just for the record, she said lies. Lies, lies, lies. We're, we're lie squashers, apparently. Lie squashers. I like that. Okay. Squash some lies today. Yeah. So, you know, um, I mean, prenatally, pre-birth, there really isn't too much you need to do for breastfeeding. Um, there is obviously a trend to harvest colostrum these days. And um, I'm not opposed to that, but I also am not adamant that women do that. I think getting comfortable and familiar with your breast through learning hand expression prenatally is really helpful because if you do need to hand express early postpartum, it's much better to be comfortable with it rather than trying to learn it in those early hours just after having a baby when you're exhausted and not as receptive to learning things. So I like it kind of for that reason. If you have a little colostrum on hand, that can be helpful if you have a, a particularly sleepy baby. It sounds like a lot of her problem with breastfeeding, though, was really related to the fact that the baby had a tongue tie. Yes, traumatic births can impact breastfeeding and birth interventions absolutely can interfere with establishing good latch in the beginning and frequency of breastfeeding, which is really important for getting your milk to come in and for keeping the baby's blood sugar levels up and keeping them energized. And so the best thing she can do is make sure that she is skin to skin with that baby after birth and not separated. Just keep your baby with you and keep trying to get your baby to feed as many times as possible in those first 24 hours. Um, the more they feed, the more colostrum they're going to get, the more energy they're going to have, the less likely they are to be jaundiced, the better your milk is going to come in. Everything is just improved with more frequent feeding in the beginning. And if mom and baby are separated, that's very difficult to do. What's the top reason learning how to hand express is so important? Because if a baby doesn't latch well in the first 24 hours, which many of them don't because of birth interventions, then you can hand express your colostrum and give it to your baby via your finger, a syringe, a cup, and that helps get them energized and awake so that they can latch. All right. So it, it, it just, your hand works so much better than a pump when it's just colostrum. Hi, ladies. Um, my name is Laura, and I was just wondering, I'm going to be um, going into a hospital and uh, to give birth, and I'm just wondering if there's a way to tell if you are, how far dilated you are. Um, just curious if you could do that at home. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. That's hilarious. That's so funny. Well, sure. Oh. You can check your own cervix. You cannot. Well, you, you can. can. You can. You can. I cannot. Yes, you can. I, 
No, it's not that I can't like maneuver myself. I practice yoga. I'm sure I can do all sorts of fun. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to make of it. Most women, that's an art that you learn in midwifery school. That's most of us wouldn't know. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't know what to call it, but right. it does get us into the mindset of who really cares. No one has to do a cervical exam. So no, I don't think going the, the, the main thing here is that the decision to go to the hospital or not shouldn't be based on your cervical dilation. That's not the determining factor, right? Because you could be one centimeter and go to the hospital and be nine centimeters by the time you got there. Or you could be four or five centimeters, which is usually when they tell you to come in and you could be four or five centimeters for the next eight hours. Right. So that's not the determining factor. The determining factor is your sense of, I need to be in the hospital now. Right. I know I'm no longer in the right place. I know I'm getting close to having my baby and this is not where I'm having my baby. So I need to go. That's exactly the feeling I had my first pregnancy, my first, and I, I had just gone into labor and it was exactly that feeling. It was the feeling of, I need to be in the place where this baby is coming out. <laughs> I'm not at the birthing center and I need to be there. And it was within five minutes of labor beginning. I was just like, I need to go right now. And sure enough, got there. We went th- immediately got there one hour after labor began. I was six centimeters. Two hours later, I was holding my son. And that gut instinct, like all I know is I need to be there. So we need to listen to that. Women never seem to love getting that advice of, uh, they want a data point. <laughs> they want a data point. They want to measure it, but you are most likely undermining your own incredible intuition. We really have great intuition and it takes a long time in life to start trusting it. Usually it doesn't happen immediately when we're adults. We learn to develop it. We learned it as mothers as well, but just get quiet every now and then, especially when you have anxiety about something and just ask yourself, do I really know everything is okay right now? Test your intuition and start to cultivate that trust in yourself because no one does know better than you with things like that. A mom having her second or third or fourth baby knows when, when it's time. It's just the first time you're going through labor. It's really hard yeah. to trust that feeling. Um, but if you're still in doubt, you probably don't need to go yet. I remember my husband um, called, I was on my hands and knees. Labor had just begun. And I was like, we need to go right now. And I remember the midwife who I didn't want, of course, was the one on call. And I heard her through the phone. My husband was right near me while I was on my hands and knees. And I heard her saying, uh, look, it's five in the morning. If you say you're going, then I have to go meet you, but you just went into labor. And if you're not at least X centimeters, I'm going to send you back home. And I just, I had like another surge in that moment. And I said, tell her we're going right now, but she could have discouraged me if I didn't trust that instinct, I could have stayed home. And I was an hour from where I needed to be. I was an hour away from the place. She shouldn't have said any of that, but I listened to the instinct that just said, nope. As a first time mom, I said, nope, we're going anyway. And I hate that feeling of inconveniencing someone. And I did worry, uh-oh, what if I'm wrong? What if she comes out of her way? But can't you can't do it. So <laughs> go ahead and feel your own cervix if you want, but you're not going to know what to do with the information when you get it anyway. Yeah. Probably best not to do that. Hi, my name is Melissa. And I just finished listening to your November Q&A and it was great. I did have a question. Um, you're talking about going over 41, 42 weeks. And I was just thinking back to when I was pregnant and how I have a very regular cycle. And with my daughter, I could tell 
when I ovulated based on cervical mucus. So I knew that I didn't ovulate on day 14, but it was more like day 18. I know I didn't conceive my daughter until two weeks after my, over two weeks after my menstrual cycle. But yet I'm still calculated at my menstrual cycle as being two weeks over conception. So I just don't understand why we look at if you go to 41 or 42 weeks, that's going to increase all these issues. I wasn't even pregnant those first two weeks that they calculate into my measurement. So I'm just, I'm confused about that and how that is pretty much put onto every woman. And even with my son, you're not pregnant the week of your period. And when I went to get my ultrasound, um, I was exactly eight weeks pregnant, but I wasn't pregnant the week of my period. I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that. Why do we calculate like that? And why does that pose a risk for later um, in pregnancy. Thanks. Bye. You all have been asking, and now we are delivering. After a long time searching for the optimal prenatal nutrition product, we bring you Needed. Did you know that 97% of women take a prenatal vitamin, yet 95% of us are still deficient in key nutrients for pregnancy and postpartum? Needed's nutritional products offer nutrients that your body can actually utilize with doses at optimal versus bare minimum levels. And if you know us, you know that we care about health from a whole body perspective, including the mental, physical, and emotional well-being, and Needed does too. Needed is a woman-founded company offering a superior nutritional product lineup backed by research, data, and insights from nearly 4,000 women's health experts. Their product lineup is not only effective, but it's convenient and easy to use. We, Cynthia and I, are loving their botanical sleep and relaxation support packets before bedtime. Needed covers it all, from vitamin D to probiotics to magnesium, omegas, iron. They even have subscription plans specific for prenatal, postpartum, preconception, fertility, and yep, for men as well. So if you've been waiting to get the perfect prenatal, Head on over to thisisneeded.com and enter the code down to birth for 20% off your first order. So there are two issues. One is she realizes, like every other newly pregnant woman, this is totally weird that they count the first two weeks. <laughs> they do for everyone. They start with your last menstrual period. Makes no sense at all. And we're all like, what? Like you've been pregnant. There's a reason for it. Okay. So you're going to explain that. Okay. So let's, I know you will. And then the second part is that she ovulates about four days later than they assume she ovulates. So let's address that as well. Go ahead. Yep. So, um, due dates are calculated based on a formula called Nagel's rule, right? And it is based on your last menstrual period because that is the marker that most women can track prior to ovulation kits and all the knowledge that we have with fertility awareness now, most people really, you know, didn't necessarily know when they were ovulating or it wasn't that talked about, but everybody kind of knew when they got their period. And that was something that was kept track of. So that was the best marker. And the assumption with Nagel's rule is that you ovulate on day 14. So pregnancy is 40 weeks from the first day of your last menstrual period. But that accounts for the first two weeks that you're not pregnant. Why don't they just, why didn't they just make it 38 weeks and they start with when you actually conceive, even if they're assuming the 28 day cycle, which is not always correct to assume. Why did they factor in those first two weeks? 
because the LMP or the last menstrual period was the date that most people remembered. So it was just easiest to base it off that instead of adding 14 days. And then I don't, I don't know. And 40 is such a nice round number, even though it's wrong. (laughs) Right. Okay. You calculate the due date based on your LMP plus seven days and then subtract three months. And so there's like sort of this window of time where you have seven days, which allows for some variation in ovulation, and then another seven days, which allows for the extra day of each of the seven months that have 31 days. So it is actually, assuming you ovulate on day 14, calculating your due date based on ovulation. That's so weird. It's it's a little confusing. And subtracting three months is because you're taking that date and you're subtracting three months but it's for the, the nine it's months. following year. It's for the, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, totally. So the problem where the problem comes in really is just around women don't always ovulate on day uh, 14. Some women ovulate on day 10. Some women ovulate on day 18. And that matters because that's four or five days different. If you ovulate on day 18, your due date is actually four days later. But that is generally not factored in since we're using LMP instead of ovulation date. Does that make, or we're assuming that we're using an ovulation date of, the, of day 14 instead of 18. So just going through it again one more time, if someone's period is June 1st, how do they get to the due date? Add they, seven days. June they add seven. So June 8th yep. minus three months. Minus three months. March 8th. Yes. And that's the 40 weeks of gestation. I don't understand this extra seven day thing, even though there are seven months with 31 days, because if you go from March 1st to, if you go from June 1st to March 1st, you already did factor in all those 30 and 31 day months, just because you're saying March 1st, right away, you factored it in. You're not doing 30 days times nine, you're doing it by month. So you already factored in the extra day per month. So that doesn't make any sense to me. I wonder why they do that. That that doesn't make sense To, to go from you know, July 1st to August 1st is 31 days. So you're immediately factored in if you're going to go by the calendar month. So that's really odd that they add the seven days. I'm glad they do because it pushes out the date a little, but I, I, it doesn't make common sense to me at all. It's just one of those weird things. This is why, well, this is why decades this ago, why, that we still, why they're not accurate. I know, but the seven day thing, I don't get that. I don't, I don't think that can represent the extra day in the seven months. Plus it doesn't even make sense because it's only nine months. So it's only going to be four or five months with the seven that's days. Why it's re- that's why it's a loose. I mean, we say that your, your actual due date is two weeks before or two weeks after. Because due dates are just, due dates have got to go. They've just got to go. The surveillance things that we do in pregnancy require understanding, having some understanding of where you are in pregnancy. I just always think of Carolyn Ingalls. <laughs> And she didn't do any of that. <laughs> I, always think, I always think of Little House on the Prairie with everything. They didn't do it. I mean, she just went into labor and, you know, Doc Baker. Well, shot. I don't know. Nagel's rule has been around since Carolyn Engel's but days, I think. It's problematic. <laughs> it's very problematic. We just didn't put so much emphasis on the end date. It's good to know about when you think you got pregnant and have a sense of when your baby is coming. Have what a I, right. But what I don't like is when a woman knows when she conceived and women are. Isn't it Laura Ingalls, by the way? Oh, Carolyn is the mother. I think oh. of Car- Carolyn, the mother. Um, 
yeah, Laura Ingalls Wilder is the daughter who grew up and wrote all the books. But Carolyn, I always think of Carolyn Ingalls because in the TV show, she's pregnant a few times. I, what I don't like is that a woman knows she's when she conceives a lot of the time. And then they just disregard her completely when she tells them. She's right. like, this doesn't make exactly. sense. I know when I conceived her, they're like, no, right. nonetheless, this is our formula. If you that's- know your conception date and it does not align with your LMP date, then you should speak up. Yeah. I mean, my feeling is just say like, I, I refuse your due date. And because if you simply say that, they're going to have a harder time coercing you into an unnecessary induction later. When they say, look, you're 40 weeks and we want to induce you, you can say, I don't, I don't buy it. I'm not 40 weeks. And they, their hands are a little bit tied if they know they haven't convinced you of that. There's not really much you can do, but it's kind of easier if you just say, well, I'm really not 40 weeks. And you know it for a fact. But establish that in the beginning, because you know that in yeah. the beginning. And, and yeah. right off the bat, when they give you a due date, factor in the day you conceived. And then when they change it based on ultrasound, that's just crazy. I mean, if they move it out, great, grab it. But if they try to push it up, heck no. Heck no, she said. <laughs> said the professional. Hi, Cynthia and Trisha. Um, I was calling in to ask if you could talk about cervical massage in labor. Um, I previously had a leap surgery and was told that I might have uh, either an incompetent cervix or um, a stubborn one that won't open and needs a little help. Um, opening during labor via massage. Um, I was just curious if you could talk about this because I want no cervical exams if possible, and this um, potential issue would conflict with that. I really appreciate your insight on this, and I'm excited to hear what you say. I'd really like to know if there's any evidence anywhere in the world of a single man's penis being referred to as incompetent (laughs) under any circumstance. Is it ever called incompetent or is it just us stubborn? It's called dysfunctional, hostile, incompetent. I know it's called dysfunctional, but incompetent. Yeah. That's a terrible name. Incompetent touches the ego. That's not a nice one. (laughs) It's a terrible term, terrible term. And the idea of cervical massage sounds horrendous. So the idea of cervical massage in labor, I mean, don't call it massage. Because what is that? Not massage. That is not going to feel good. What is what even is it? What is what is what she what is she thinking of? Stretching, massaging, pulling. Like a memory sweep? No, what I mean. Who would do such a thing to this woman? Who would do this? Her midwife or OB. Do they call it a massage? Anyone, anyone. Well, that's what I'm saying. Don't call it a massage because a massage is intended to relax you. This is not going to relax you. This is going to cause pain. I mean, talk about how uncomfortable a vaginal exam is. You start stretching and massaging the cervix on top of examining it. That is painful. Can we just get out of there? (laughs) I can't believe how we go inside women's bodies and touch stuff. I mean, I cannot believe it. I swear if the baby's head were not at the cervix, people would stick their hand all the way into the uterus and feel around. Can we get the heck out of women's bodies? The baby is going to come out of her body. We don't have to climb in there. I I just find it so offensive and we're normalizing it. Like as a society, we're normalizing going inside her body. It would be like going inside someone's body because they have to go to the bathroom. Like (laughs) 
what has, what has to come out will come out, including a baby. We can't normalize this. I don't know. I, I, my, my friend, Nancy Weiner calls such things barbaric and I'm with her. I find all of it barbaric when I just take a step back. And again, I think of like Carolyn Ingalls <laughs> or the cavemen who preceded us. It's just crazy when you think about anyone sticking their hands up inside of a woman. Get the heck out. Get the heck out. You, you have a different point. opinion? No, you have a point. I mean, I'm, uh, I'm a, I'm a nice. trained midwife who has learned to evaluate progress of labor through, you know, feeling a baby through the cervix. So, but have I learned over time that that's really unnecessary most of the time? Yes. Is it sometimes helpful and provides information? And there are situations where you actually to protect the mother and baby do need to go inside like the potential for a cord prolapse. You need to evaluate that. Yes. So there are situations we're not, we're not talking about, you know, it's like at the end of pregnancy, we shouldn't just be doing this to women. I definitely understand that there is a reason for some of these things, some of the time, but I think it's important to keep that big picture perspective. You know, you have like a, let's say a pregnant dog, it, it, the idea of us putting on a glove even and sticking our hands inside the dog is so offensive, disrespectful, scary to the dog, freaky, right. weird to the dog, but we're normalizing it with humans. And I just want to remember, I want to remind all of us, this is not something we should treat as normal. Yes, fine. Maybe it serves a purpose from time to time, but of, of course, but just like it, it happens to virtually every woman. Well, and it happens on in, on, on a regular basis, you know, every two hours, they want an update on the cervical progress in many hospital births. And that I completely agree with is completely out of line, inappropriate, not necessary, excessive. And if a woman is progressing normally, there's no reason to ever feel inside her. Truly, it's really Especially like late pregnancy, isn't that only in a variation about? in late pregnancy? No. And, and trying to massage a cervix, there's no such thing as massaging a cervix. It's never going to feel good. <laughs> if, if your husband isn't doing it, you're not going to else to do it. And he's not doing that. It just is strange. And that, yeah, these euphemisms, they have these negative words for our bodies, like incompetent and stubborn. And then for what they're doing to us, they have this euphemism massage. It's like, nice try. Right, right, right. right. Now language is so powerful. It really is. It's crazy. Do you know that um, estimated due dates used to be called estimated date of confinement? confinement confinement then it was changed to due date delivery date then it was changed to birth date estimated date of birth all right breastfeeding moms do you want to know one of our all-time favorite items for your nursing journey if you know us you probably could guess it yep it's the silverette nursing cup these little nipple heroes not only protect, but also heal because they're made of real silver. It is naturally antimicrobial, antifungal, and anti-inflammatory. These little cups will be your best friend in the early sensitive weeks of breastfeeding your baby. And our favorite part is they last literally forever. You can pass them on just like you would a favorite piece of jewelry. Head on over to silverettusa.com and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH to save 15%. Down to Birth is sponsored by Postpartum Soothe. Recovering from a vaginal birth takes many women by surprise. 
Everyday activities like sitting, walking, and going to the bathroom can be uncomfortable. And Postpartum Soothe is just the remedy to support your healing and relieve discomfort. Postpartum Soothe is a 100% organic herbal blend that's applied to maternity pads in the days immediately following your birth, giving you all the benefits of a sits bath 24-7. That's because herbs like comfrey leaf, uva ursi, and witch hazel are known for their antimicrobial and anti-inflammatory properties. Postpartum Soothe can be prepared anytime during the third trimester, and it makes a beautiful baby gift. It's a must for any woman seeking a faster, easier recovery from a vaginal birth. Visit postpartumsoothe.com. That's postpartumsoothe, S-O-O-T-H-E.com, and use promo code DOWNTOBIRTH. All right. If you are with us on Apple or Patreon, we're moving on to our extended questions. Otherwise, it is time for quickies. But if you haven't joined us yet on Apple, it's less than $30 a year for ad-free episodes every week and every month, the extended version of this of our Q&A episode. So please consider joining and supporting us. And if you're on Patreon with us, there's a whole host of other benefits that come with that as well. So uh, we hope to see you in the extended versions and ad-free versions of these episodes. Again, otherwise, it is time for quickies. Okay. Quickie time. Our favorite time. Let's see how quick we can be, huh? Mm-hmm. I'll work on it. All right. Here we go. Okay. Do you have any quick tips for morning sickness? My quickest tip for morning sickness is to eat frequently. Don't go more than two to three hours between meals and eat protein and fiber at every meal because that stabilizes your blood sugar, keeps your tummy full. It makes your food digest over a longer period of time. And the thing that causes morning sickness is the buildup of the HCG hormone in your belly. So if you have more food in there, you're not going to be as influenced by that. Cool. And ginger, ginger, throw that in there. Why do you have to (laughs) swap? Okay. Next. Why do you have to swab your butt for GBS? (laughs) Sorry. I don't know why I find that funny. You, you find it funny because a (laughs) lot of even midwives say that's weird. We don't have to do that. They just have to swab the vaginal area. Why do they go to the anus for some women? They don't right? Well, because GBS lives in both locations. And so if you swab both locations, the concern is that if you swab one location and it's in the other location, you could also have it in the other location, but not pick it up. That's why also, if you test GBS positive in your urine, you have it everywhere because that means you have a higher colony count. That's why. I found my best way to keep these quick is just not to speak. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If I speak, I can't promise I'll keep it quick. Okay. Um, Well, say something. Okay. Your second baby was, (laughs) if my second baby was IUGR, what are the chances of that happening again? Ooh, well, the first question is, was your, was your second baby actually IUGR? Of course, that's always the question. (laughs) Right. And probably it wasn't. Right. And the, the chances are actually pretty low. So how would she know? Okay. So if it was based only on an ultrasound that was a reading of 10% or lower, that doesn't tell us anything. Um, Did her baby's growth rate actually slow throughout her pregnancy over a period of time? And was the baby particularly small at birth? All right. Next. If you bled too much in the first birth, can you prevent it in a subsequent birth? Uh, So if you bleed too much, if you have a postpartum hemorrhage, 
in the first birth? Can you prevent it in a subsequent birth? Yes. Episode, say it, Cynthia, what is it? Episode 227, Tips for Preventing Postpartum Hemorrhage with Allie Woods. That was a great episode, very informative, numerous ways to prevent hemorrhage, and her story had a ton of credibility. So head on over there and have a listen to that. That'll keep it quick. Does an IVF pregnancy automatically mean a high-risk pregnancy? Oh, we were just talking about this today. That's so strange, isn't it? Yep, with Stu. Okay, so it means she's at higher risk of certain things developing in pregnancy. Possibly. Possibly a higher chance of certain things, certain complications occurring, but that does not necessarily make her a high-risk pregnancy, no. Right. My five-month-old exclusively breastfed baby won't take a bottle. What is your best tip? Skip the bottle. Five months. They don't need to start on a bottle. They can start on a sippy cup, a transitional sippy cup, a open cup, a straw cup. It's not as convenient. Bottle's a little more convenient. But my best, fastest tip would be just to skip the bottle. Straight to stemware. <laughs> I could talk. <laughs> yeah. Martini glasses. <laughs> they work every time. Their fine motor skills will become outstanding if they learn to drink with a martini glass. Yes. Filled to the brim. Way ahead of the bell curve. Breast milk in a martini glass. I mean, if you haven't tried it, you should. <laughs> oh, this one's specifically to me. Wow. Look at that. Trisha, did you ever attend a surprise twin birth? How often are twins missed these days? No, I never attended a surprise twin birth, but I did one time attend a surprise breech birth. I remember that very early on in my midwifery career. Like, you thought a soft head was coming out and it was a scrotum. Yes, exactly. No, really? I thought it was a cord, actually. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Right. Here we go. Right. And it was a scrotum, not a cord. Oh, good. Thing. It's Goodness. just a scrotum. Yeah, I was way relieved. Way relieved. I mean, twins should not be missed these days because most people have an ultrasound, but we also did an episode recently um, yeah. of, with Purely Parsons who had a ultrasound in late pregnancy and they still missed twins. Yep. That was episode 240. Really good birth story. Super fun story. I, I mean, unfathomable. I still try to imagine. You think your placenta is coming out and another baby's coming out. It's just like unbelievable. All right. What items should I have on hand for mastitis? Um, the best, best thing, uh, your hands, your hands, your hands are going to be really helpful <laughs> there. Not to massage your breast though. Massage is overrated when it comes to plug ducts and mastitis and can make it worse, but just to gently do some uh, physical therapy with your breasts, breast gymnastics, as it's known. Um, you should also have ice packs, cold packs. The Lansano purple gel packs are my favorite because they have a little hole cut out for the nipple and you can just put them in your bra and they feel great and ibuprofen. Anti, anything anti-inflammatory. If you don't want to take ibuprofen, some natural turmeric anti-inflammatory treatment. So the red cabbage leaf thing, that is just soothing because it's nice and cold, but it's not, there's nothing magical about it. No, actually cold cabbage leaves. Uh, those are commonly recommended for engorgement. You could also use them if you were experiencing mastitis, but the cabbage does have a compound in it that helps draw out um, swelling. Cool. See, that's what Carolyn Ingalls would have used. That, exactly. <laughs> her hands and her cabbage. Um, 
Okay. Last one. What is the weirdest thing you've ever eaten? Oh God. I was in South Korea on business once and that was definitely a time of eating weird things. I'm sure you probably didn't know what you were eating. I mean, I was not very comfortable. Were you vegetarian then? I was, but I'm pescatarian and they had all sort of sorts of um, sea animals. So I didn't have to eat certain things, but you know, it's a politeness. You kind of have to eat some stuff. Okay. Well, mine's really easy because it's really weird and crazy. When I was living out West, I went to the testicle festival in Rock Creek. Just stop right there. Are you kidding? <laughs> it's, it's a, it actually I, doesn't exist anymore. There's a man on Instagram who has a whole page of cows and I'm telling you they're as precious as dogs. Like they, oh, cook. I know they're such beautiful, gentle animals. They really are. Oh, finish your testicle story. <laughs> this is your second one for the episode. This should not be this way. Okay. Well, it's a, it's a festival of testicles oh, and people God. eat the cow testicles. Oh, okay. And I did try one. I had to. Did you swallow it whole? No, <laughs> that's very large. I'd, no. I, I think I'm I probably sad. took a bite and said, no, I can't do this. I don't remember. Wow. But that's I did a, try. I like the question though. <laughs> Fun question. I know I'm forgetting something. I know there's something I'm totally forgetting. I went right to South Korea because that was the most uncomfortable I've ever been around food because there felt like there was pressure on me too to eat all these beautiful, fancy things that they put in front of us. But I know I'm, I'm blanking on something. I ate bear one time. Mm, yeah, you talked about that once. That was sad. All right. That's a wrap. That's a wrap for January. Please continue to call in with your fantastic questions, um, 802-438-3696 or 802-GET-DOWN. 802-GET-DOWN. Get down. We will not pick up, we promise. And if you're- I only question- did that once. <laughs> Some poor soul. Never again. Never it, again. It is officially forwarded. You can call 24-7. I promise I will not pick up. What else? Patreon. Don't forget, we have so much good stuff over there. I really think people don't understand how much valuable content is over on Patreon, which now includes our book club, which is a blast. Just join for one single month and check out the trove of masterclasses, videos, a tremendous amount of content from us, plus every single extended Q&A, every time ad-free. It's pretty awesome. It's a huge bonus. If you join us on Patreon, you can have ongoing conversations with us and with other members of the Bound to Birth community. All right. And speaking of that, we have a video to record right now for our book club. Let's go. All right. Bye, guys. See you next week. Thanks for joining us at the Down to Birth Show. You can reach us at Down to Birth Show on Instagram or email us at contact at downtobirthshow.com. All of Cynthia's classes and Trisha's breastfeeding services are held live online, serving women and couples everywhere. Please remember this information is made available to you for educational and informational purposes only. It is in no way a substitute for medical advice. For our full disclaimer, visit downtobirthshow.com slash disclaimer. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, hear everyone and listen to yourself. I wish I could. Okay. Well, maybe it'll come to you later. Yeah. It's all right. South Korea wins anyway. You probably you probably did eat the weirdest food. You just don't know what it was. At the time I was asking, I asked. Because I'm allergic to shellfish, 
I, it gave me a lot of leeway to ask. I tried to downplay the fact that I'm vegetarian and that I'm pescatarian, but I'm allergic to shellfish. So it gave me a lot of ability to get, you know, to ask a lot of questions about the food, but there was a lot of pressure to eat these beautiful, elegant, fancy meals. We were being hosted and these were like top banks. And, you know, that was the ordeal. Ah, we had a lot easier time in at some of the other places. That was tough. I remember at one point in that trip, I bumped into, I found, um, I missed chocolate because there's not a lot of chocolate in Asia at all. There's almost none. <laughs> and I remember in this beautiful hotel we stayed in, they had a really cool lower level and they had an Italian bakery with like a chocolate section. And I almost cried. I saw chocolate and I almost cried. <laughs> I was because I was away from home for like that two much? weeks. Well, yeah, I was away for weeks and I, I didn't have any food that was comfortable to me. And when I just saw something familiar that I loved, I felt like I was going to cry. I was so happy. 